This episode is in support of the Nepal Youth Foundation. In this time of crisis, many non-COVID-related charities are struggling to get donations and continue helping the people in their care. The global generosity movement Giving Tuesday has designated May 5th as an emergency day of giving, and you can join with them by sharing your favorite charity on your social media platform with the hashtag GivingTuesdayNow. If you're able, you can donate to the Nepal Youth Foundation by going to nepalyouthfoundation.org backslash donate. And now, on to our show. Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth. Legend. Folklore. Fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Again, we've got another really special episode for you. We're making another podcast episode in support of the Nepal Youth Foundation. Just to tell you a little bit about them before we get into the story that we're telling today. The Nepal Youth Foundation is a U.S.-based nonprofit that works to provide Nepal's most impoverished children with what should be every child's birthright, freedom, health, shelter, and education. They serve thousands of children every year, giving special attention to the most marginalized kids in Nepal, girls, member of low castes, children with disabilities, and any other children who fall through the cracks. They're one of the largest non-government providers of scholarships in Nepal. There are scholarships for everything from kindergarten through trade school or university, including special scholarships for children with disabilities. And they run a beautiful children's village that provides a stable home and excellent education for 80 orphaned or abandoned children at a time. And their kinship care program allows hundreds more children to live with their extended family members who wouldn't be able to afford to care for them without the help that the foundation provides. They've also established the first counseling center for children in Nepal, And they work with the Nepalese government on extensive malnutrition interventions in rural communities. And they've even built an entire facility called the New Life Center. And its purpose is for helping kids and their families, for those kids who are living with HIV, AIDS, to maintain good health and cope with their diagnosis and learn how they can have a healthy life, even in that extremely difficult circumstance. And another cool thing about them is that everyone working on the ground over there in Nepal is Nepalese, including the president of the Nepal Youth Foundation, Sam Paneru, who is actually himself a graduate of their scholarship program, which I think is really cool. So they feel that it's really important for their programs to be of that culture and culturally appropriate. And the way that they achieve that is making sure that it's led by people that know the culture inside and out, that speak the language, And they have like a real personal and a tangible interest in seeing that these kids going through these programs actually get out there and succeed. Sadly, this year, I mean, excitingly, first of all, it was their 30th year of operation. But sadly, they had plans to have a really great celebration. And, you know, like everyone else in the world, these plans have been (laughs) completely thrown into chaos because of, you know, the COVID-19 responses in the United States and Nepal. You know, like a lot of places, Nepal is in a really tough spot. Uh, Nepal is actually like a developing economy and they were just recovering from earthquakes back in 2015. And there's really high hopes for this 2020 season of, uh, you know, people climbing Mount Everest because that's one of the main sources of income for this country is the tourism related to, 
you know, traveling to and climbing Mount Everest. They were hoping that that would do great things for their economy, but Everest climbing season is literally right now in spring while the entire country is on lockdown. Their borders are completely closed up. And travel even between cities in Nepal has been suspended. And even though there's not very many cases of COVID-19 in the country, they're on such a strict lockdown because they're really worried that their health care system would not be able to handle if it were to become an epidemic in their country. So, you know, the Nepal Youth Foundation is doing everything they can to keep the kids that they're taking care of safe. There's tons of information on their website. They're doing everything they can to keep these programs running, and especially during the COVID-19 situation. So they really, really need, especially right now, as much help as they can get. We on the Fairy Tellers podcast and the people at the Nepal Youth Foundation understand that this pandemic is worldwide impacting everyone and it's impacting us all differently. But if you're in a really great privileged place that you can help to support these vulnerable kids in Nepal, uh, you can donate by visiting their website at nepalyouthfoundation.org slash donate. And, you know, just think like for the cost of a tank of gas that you didn't need to buy this month because you're stuck in your home, you can help keep food shelves stocked at children's homes for a price out, you know, at the night at the movies that you didn't get to go to because, again, you're stuck in your house. You can help pay the nurses and those staying in lockdown at the New Life Center. There are literally nurses that are staying locked in at this center with five orphan kids that have HIV AIDS that don't have anywhere else to go. And they're stuck there because they don't want to risk compromising these kids uh, by ex- potentially exposing them to you know, COVID-19, the coronavirus. And for the amount of money you would have spent on a weekend trip down Route 66 to go and grab a slice of Mr. G's pizza, you can ensure trained counselors that can reach traumatized kids and families over the internet during this time of isolation and uncertainty. I know on this podcast, Katrina and I have these calls that we do over the internet. I've been, you know, having Zoom conferences for work. I've been Skyping my family and it's been something that's really helped me, you know, keep calm even when I'm physically isolated from people. And I know that that could be something that would be really beneficial to these kids that are especially vulnerable. So if you're able to donate, that's great. If not, they could still use help in so many ways. Just, you know, consider giving them a boost, linking to their website on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, whatever it may be, whatever social platforms there are, telling your friends and family. And if you have other creative ideas about how they could be getting the word out, you can you know, contact them. We're trying to do our part through our little podcast, but you can email them at info at nepalyouthfoundation.org for your suggestions and anything that you can do to help will make a huge difference to these kids in Nepal. And uh, we hope you consider donating or doing something to help. And with that, we'll get into the story that we have planned for you for today. An excellent story that you are definitely going to want to hear because... It's the story of a king and tigers. And you know you want a piece of that. (laughs) I do. So this story truly, when I was like, okay, I will start to do some research on folktale in Nepal. Let's see what I can find. Let's fire up the old Google machine. Let's see like what we got out there. (laughs) Very first thing that I ran into was... I found the book, The King Who Rides Tigers, and I was like, okay, I definitely am going to read that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> because uh, everybody right now is crazy about the Tiger King and I want to see how I can. And it was funny because as I started to read this story, I found out that it is a animal bride tale. Oh my gosh. Which we've been doing. And so I was like, this is perfect because it both has the word king and tiger. So fire up them search engines. Um, and then <laughs> it also works with the stuff that we've been talking about. So this is a story in two parts that I found like really interesting because they're almost two different like tale types in the two parts of the story. So in the book, there's lots of different stories, lots of different tales, but I obviously went directly to The King Who Rides a Tiger because I was like, I need to read this one first. This one sounds like it's the winner. <laughs> and it definitely is a winner. And I'm excited because I think I read six tales out of the book and there's still like more. So I'm actually having a really great time <laughs> reading this book. But this one, I was like, nope. It's Animal Brides, and this, like, works really well. So I'll start it off. A long time ago in a valley, there was a Brahmin priest, a shopkeeper, shop owner, businessman. They use all those terms. It's not three different people. <laughs> That's confusing. So Brahmin priest, shopkeeper, business owner guy, and a landowner which is another kind of the term that they use is Zamandar, which means uh, huh. a landowner or a person who leases to tenant farmers. Right. Okay. So the word is Zamandar. There's not a good quick like translation yeah. Yeah, of it. So, but that's kind of like the rundown of it. So there were these three different really well-off guys and they all said to themselves and then to each other, this valley is running out of room. If we were to divide up all of our land holdings to give to our children, they would barely have any space to actually make a living from the land. And the Brahmin priest even said, yes, there is, there are so many Brahmin priests out here that you cannot make a living from like being this religious leader. And so I'm also going to go out into a new place. So they all decided that they were going to set off and go to an uninhabited side of land. But as they were walking, they came across a farmer, a Magar farmer. And uh, Magar is a, like a, a group of people, like a cultural group of people. Uh -huh. Okay. And so, but he's a farmer. And so he's kind of like of a lower degree of like wealth right he would be like way below them so they ran into this guy and he said oh yeah i was having problems finding places to farm too and i thought that i would have better luck also going so now these guys are like great now we got this like God, farmer who's like so beneath us traveling with us this is the worst <laughs> <laughs> so what they did when they finally got to this new area is they said, hey, we want to settle in the portion on the south side of this like mountain. You should settle on the north side. 
And they had him settle on the north side because it gets like no sun. It was yeah. super rocky, doesn't get a lot of sunshine, and they kept the nice southern area for themselves that got plenty uh. of sunshine. So a couple years passed. They were getting established in their area, setting things up. The shopkeeper had a shop. The tenant landowner was like leasing out like his lands and making money. And the Brahmin priest was doing well for himself and his established religion. And the farmer's name was Manaraz, and he was busy happily tending his uh, field, even though it was full of rocks. He was still able to get enough grain, enough like corn. They said corn that was growing there. It might, some of the words, yeah, it's like they lack a good translation. So they said corn. I'm going to keep saying corn. I don't know how the corn got there. <laughs> I don't know the travel of grains and when they started to be used. Manaraz was able to farm enough grain that he could feed himself, but it was always just barely enough. But he was a happy kind, productive person, and he just kept at it and kept at it. One day, a cobra snake came into the valley, and the cobra was in a great hurry, and it went over to the Brahmin priest as he was praying, and it said, Sir, please, if you can help me, I'm being chased by a mongoose, which is like a weaselly type <laughs> animal for anybody who doesn't know. Also, they're That's immune to snake bites, and so they're like one of the only common enemy of venomous snakes. It's also a sick BMX bike brand. <laughs> also relevant. He was being chased by a bicycle. <laughs> by, by Tony Hawk. Biker. No, Tony Hawk wasn't a bicycle. <laughs> no, I probably, if I was still in middle school, I could totally come up with like a, a, a BMX bike rider that was actually sponsored by like Mongoose Bicycles even. Yeah. But unfortunately, you're not a middle schooler. Not anymore. So the Brahmin priest said, please do not interrupt me. While I'm praying, your problem is not more important than me speaking to my Ooh. God. Go to the landowner and ask him for help. So quickly, the cobra raced over to the landowner's house and asked, please, sir, help me. I'm being chased by a mongoose. Will you help me? And the landowner was like, I don't have time to deal with you and your snake problems. <laughs> Go and see if the shopkeeper can help you. So quickly, the mongoose raced over to the shop. And as the snake went in, all the customers ran out <laughs> because it's yep. a snake. It's a cobra snake coming into a store. I also would probably leave. So the snake said, shopkeeper, can you help me? Is there any way that you can help me escape from this mongoose? And the shopkeeper was like, buddy, you just scared away. <laughs> All of my customers, get out of here. Go bug the farmer over there. He'll probably help you. <laughs> so quickly, the Poor cobra snake. sped off to find the farmer. And when he found the farmer, and when it was actually a she, and when she, it's a lady snake. I don't know if I was misgendering the snake earlier in the story, but it's a woman. It's a woman snake. But when she goes to the farmer... She says, can you help me? I'm being chased by a mongoose. And he said, yes, I can help you. And in the story, it said he put her inside of his cummerbund. 
Oh, wow. Which, no, I think that that's a bad translation. A bad translation? <laughs> because... It's like he was dressed fancy in a tuxedo. Yeah, because and... like, he wasn't wearing a tuxedo as he was like farming. <laughs> but there is like a cloth that the farmer would have wrapped around his waist right. for putting like different tools and stuff to hold while he's like working. Yeah. So, and still putting a snake in there is like, that's a very vulnerable position you're putting yourself oh, yeah. in. If one Wrapping little bite's going to kill you. Wrapping a cobra snake like yeah. around your waist. Yeah. So he, he wrapped the snake up in that and tied it back onto himself. And pretty soon an out of breath mongoose <laughs> came up the, uh, came up to the farmer, came up all those rocks, got to the farmer and said, Hey, have you, have you seen a cobra snake around here anywhere? <laughs> and the farmer was like, yes, I have seen a cobra snake. She went off into the woods over there, but she was in a great hurry. You should go faster. <laughs> so the mongoose took off into the woods. And after a while, the snake said, how far do you think the mongoose has gone? And Manaras said, I think by now the mongoose is probably three resting places away from here by now. I think it's safe for you to come out. And so he took off the cummerbund and he let the cobra snake out. And this is the part of the story where I also, with my Western brain, I was like, and now the snake's going to bite him. It's going to bite him so hard. It's going <laughs> to get him. Because like my brain is telling me like that like snake's it, deceitful. It's evil. Yeah. yeah. But no, the snake wasn't evil. The snake was like, thank you so much for your kindness. I want to give you something in return. And the farmer was like, no, that's all right. You're a snake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I don't know what you it's like. Have. I know I'm over here uh, raking rocks, but you're still a snake. I don't know what you yeah. could have that I could possibly benefit from. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm. The snake was like, no, I want you to follow me up on this trail. I want to show you something. And so the kind farmer, he decided that he would follow the snake. So they went up the hill. And when they got to the, the very top, the snake said, okay, I want you to close your eyes. And the farmer listened and he closed his eyes and he waited until the cobra said, okay, open your eyes. And the cobra opened his eyes and in the valley, there was a giant palace made out of gold Whoa! and like the finest construction, light shimmering off of it. And the farmer was, of course, shocked by this snake's exceeding wealth. And he followed, he followed the snake back to her home. And when they got there, she said, I want you to be able to pick out anything you want in my palace. Anything you want will be yours. Do you want these pots made out of gold and silver with jewels on them? And the farmer said, those would be useful to me. But I live in a grass hut, and they would just get stolen from people. They're not very practical for me to have. And the snake said, that's wise. But what about maybe some elephants and horses to to ride uh, and to help you with your farming? And Manaras said, no, those are very fine animals. I have nowhere to keep them. And I would feel foolish riding on such fine animals when I'm such a humble man. And the snake said, that is also very wise. I will let you look around and decide on whatever you want that I have. And so Manaras walked around and marveled at all of the beauty and opulence 
that was in this palace. And finally, he found a little dog curled up in (laughs) the corner. And he said to the cobra, I would really like to have that little dog. It would be a great companion for me in my hut, and it won't take a lot to take care of it. I have enough to take care of this little dog. And the cobra said, I think that is a very wise choice. You should take that little dog with you. And so with the cobra's blessing, he scooped up the little dog and he safely carried the little dog back to his home. And when he got, (laughs) I know, I'm like, oh. Heartwarming. Yeah, like he's like, oh, I'd like just a little friend. Can I just have a puppy? Just a cute little puppy. So when Manaras got home with the little puppy, he made them each a simple meal of grain and then he ate some food and then he offered a portion of it to his little dog. And the little dog refused to eat any of the food and he thought, oh, I hope this little dog isn't expecting a fancy meal. Oh, man. Because I don't have a lot to offer. He's like, but maybe the dog ate before we left. And so he's still full. And so he made a nice little bed for his dog to lay between him and the fire so the little dog would stay warm and comfortable in the night. What a quality guy. He is. He's such a good guy. So he went to sleep. And in the morning he woke up, he fixed himself a simple breakfast, and he tried to feed his dog. And again, the dog refused to eat any of the food. Uh Uh-oh. And so he said out loud to the dog, I hope that you're not a spoiled little girl. (laughs) 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 Because this is all I have to give you. But if you're hungry, I hope that you'll be sensible and eat some food. So then... He left the dog a bowl of water, asked her to keep a good watch over his house, and he went out into the his fields to like do his farming and move some of the rocks to keep clearing that patch for himself to have more space to grow stuff. Once he was out of sight, the dog did a nice little sunny good morning stretch, stood up, Barked and turned into a gorgeous woman. Oh, plot twist. Plot twist. So she went around, cleaned up the little hut, and then she stamped her foot three times and bowls of rice and delicious curry appeared on the table. Nice. And she took a portion for herself, finished eating, and when she heard her... I don't want to say master because she's a human person. (laughs) Yeah, it does seem really weird. But when she heard the farmer coming back up the hill, back to his home, she barked and then turned back into a little dog and she curled up by the fire. So Manaras walked in and he saw that there was a plate of food laid out for him already (laughs) and he was like where did this come from definitely wasn't expecting this and so he quickly took a portion of it divided it away and went over to his dog and said i finally have something worthy to give you oh do you want some of this good food but of course the dog (laughs) refused it i've already eaten but yeah because she already ate so then he said to the dog 
you don't seem to have any common sense. And so if you don't want to eat anything at all, I'm going to stop offering you food. You can beg for it when you want. <laughs> and he threw the food into the fire. Oh, which no. I was well, I was looking into just it's like some of the culture around like food in Nepal. Yeah. And like there seems to be like a kind of custom of if food has been allotted to a person or presented to a person, uh-huh. you can't. Like, it's rude to take that food back. Like it's inappropriate to take that food back. For gotcha. Yourself. Once it's theirs, like it's theirs. And so since he had already offered it to the dog and tried to give it to the dog, it was the dog's. It wasn't his right. food anymore. And so him throwing it into the fire, like it's, it was just like, okay, this is wasting food. Cause I keep yeah. portioning out food for the dog. And then the dog, like, I don't want to eat that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it is like, Okay, if you want to beg for it, I'll wait instead of keep dividing up food. Yeah, food. so I'm not wasting food, which makes and that makes a lot of sense when he's talking about the stuff before, where it's like he portions out food for the dog, and then the dog doesn't want to eat it when when it wasn't like this magical meal that just appeared when it was like the meager scraps that he had. Yeah, and then he had to like like get rid of it. Get rid of it when it's like he already had so little. Um, but then he sat down to eat, and the food was delicious and wonderful, and he had a full belly. And a happy heart when he laid down on the ground and went to sleep next to his little dog. So the next day, same thing. He woke up, asked the dog to take care of the house, and then he left. Dog turned into a beautiful woman and then took care of the house. (laughs) As she was told to do. (laughs) She stomped three times, and this time it was like vegetables and chutney and just more delicious food to eat. Man, it's making me hungry. I want all of these things. When I was reading this story, I was like, oh man, I'm so hungry. So she ate her portion, curled up on the ground, like turned back into a dog and then curled up on the ground. It wasn't. (laughs) It's important to do these things in proper order. Yes. So he comes back in the house and again sees this food and he thinks to himself, I need to find out who keeps coming into my house and leaving this food. I want to thank them for this kindness that they're giving me. Because as, as we've already established, he is a quality individual. Yeah. He's wanting a to good, show his gratitude. Good. Yeah. he. Every time somebody does something nice for him, he wants to show gratitude. He does nice things for people. He's a good person. So, again, his dog didn't want to eat. He didn't push the matter. He was like, she can ask for food when she's hungry. I don't know what to do with this dog. I don't want it to die. So, he went to sleep. The next day, when he woke up, he told the dog, take care of the house. I'm going into the woods to chop some firewood. So, he left the house, and pretty soon... The dog again stretched and turned into a beautiful woman. But this time, Manaraz was outside looking through the window and was shocked when he saw his dog turn into a woman, as we all would be. Oh, yeah. So he watched as she stamped her foot three times and more food appeared on the table. And he watched her sit down, eat a little portion for herself. And then before she could turn herself back into a dog, he rushed into the house and grabbed her. (laughs) (laughs) And she screamed and said, unhand me. And he was like, I just, 
want to thank you for all that you've done for me. And she was like, no, we're not friends. <laughs> you were so mean to me when I was a dog. You called me spoiled. You said that I was not like sensible. You were saying some really harsh things to oh, me no. like as a dog and it hurt my feelings. But to be fair, and I he, did think that was a little harsh of him to say to the dog, even at the yes, time, even before I knew she was a human. Yeah, but don't worry. He's like about to apologize because he's a good person. Yeah. So he says to her, I am so sorry. When I said those things, I was worried that my new little dog that I loved so much and wanted to be my companion, I was scared that it was going to get sick and die. And I didn't know what to do. And I was frustrated. And I'm sorry. Aww. She was like, oh, and it says her heart melted. Oh, and just like felt, mine which, right now. Yeah, hearing that. Like, <laughs> he was like, no, I, yeah, I said mean things to you, but it was because I love you. So they, they sat and they talked and they ate a meal together. And after talking for a while, they decided that they should be married. But Mana Ross said, I would feel bad being married to you because you are so beautiful and so kind and so wonderful that I worry that I don't have enough for you. And she smiled at him slyly, stamped her foot four times, and the house was filled with gold and silver pots and the elephants and the horses from before. And he was like, oh, my goodness, my dear wife. <laughs> like, or I guess they weren't married yet. But he was like, like, oh, my goodness, dear woman who, oh, her name was Indra. So they also gave her a name, which I'm fabulous. I love this. Yes. Her name was Indra. So Indra, he was like, oh, Indra, you are amazing. Is there anything that you can't do? And she gave him a sly little wink and she tapped her foot seven times and his house turned into a golden palace. <laughs> nice. She's like, no, babe, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> so that's the end of the kind of the first portion of that story. But you might have noticed that at no point did a king ride on a tiger. I know. I was about to say I was getting a little uh, confused there. You're like, no. So what's interesting is like the first half of that story is a animal bride story. Yeah. And then instead of kind of what we have seen in the past of the woman being taken away and the guy having to earn her back, we'll see in this second portion of the story kind of a different thing that unfolds, but kind of with the, that same kind of theme of yeah. doing tasks to earn back a woman lost. She's not lost, but you'll see how, how connected it is. So, part two. They had been living happily on this hill for quite some time in the Golden Palace with all this stuff. And you know what? The farmer was still a farmer. Hardworking guy, still doing what he can to provide for his family, take care of everybody inside. But he was happy and living a comfortable life. The Brahmin priest from before was starting a pilgrimage to go to a holy site to worship Shiva. And he happened to pass by where the farmer lived. And he thought to himself, oh, I might stop in there and see if I can get something to eat. 
Because this guy doesn't have anything, but he's still going to take advantage, whatever. So he kind of, you know, rounds a corner, comes over a hill or something. Suddenly the palace came into view and sitting outside was the beautiful Indra brushing her hair with a golden comb which I thought was interesting that it's just golden comb because that's something that kind of pops up in fairy tales of magical objects. It's not a magical object in this story, but it's just interesting. That it's a golden comb. Yeah, when those like little objects kind of like pop up and stuff. I think we might not have talked about golden combs yet. We've talked about golden carding combs, which are completely different. Yeah. But golden combs, golden mirrors... Uh, they pop up in fairy tales. But this time, it's not a magical object. Just a gorgeous woman brushing her hair. So, (laughs) the Brahmin priest is so confused to see the farmer sitting out there in this palace while his wife is, like, brushing her hair. He's super confused, forgets completely about what he was planning on doing, rushes back home to tell the uh, shopkeeper... And the landowner, what he has just seen. And he's like, guys, you would not believe. There's a huge golden palace. Manaraz is living on there. That farmer from before, he's up there in a golden like palace, gorgeous woman with him. And they're like, wow, have you abandoned your religion to be a drunk? And he was like, what? <laughs> they're like, you are so intoxicated right now. Like you're saying crazy things. And he was like, no. I would never drink, and you know, follow me and I will show you. They were thinking it was a huge joke, but they decided to follow him. And when they followed him, they saw the Golden Palace for themselves, and they were like, this is not right. This should not be happening. This man should not have all this wealth. We are going to go and tell the king. Uh Uh-oh. So they quickly left to go and tell the king that there was a man living in a palace that rivaled his palace and that he should be concerned about it. Yeah. So the king thought clearly they exaggerate, but it has been a while since he had been out and among the people. And so he decided that he was interested to kind of view how other people lived and it was worth the excursion. So he dressed himself up as a yogi so as not to draw attention to himself as the king. So after he had dressed himself in his costume, he went out on a journey to see what he could find. And when he got there, he saw Indra sitting outside brushing her long hair with a golden comb. And he thought, that is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. And I want her. Oh, no. So he went he went over to the palace or not the palace, it kind of the golden palace, not his palace. The farmer's, the farmer's palace. palace. <laughs> Which is so not a phrase went, you hear often. The farmer's yeah, palace. <laughs> the farmer's palace. <laughs> that is what I'm going to name my restaurant. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. The farmer's palace. And you stomp three times and then <laughs> unveil the food. <laughs> There's dogs everywhere. <laughs> They're the servers. And... <laughs> My business model is falling apart as I speak. <laughs> the longer you talk, the worse and worse it gets. <laughs> Whatever. If there can be like cat cat cafes, there That's can be true. my my dog 
They probably just shouldn't, shouldn't serve the food. Yeah, I was thinking the you know the health department might have a few things to say about it, but oh well, yeah, that's understandable. Anyway, my business plans, my small business plans are ruined. <laughs> but whatever, Jeff. Anyway, so dressed up as a yogi, he goes over to the farmer's palace, and when Indra sees him, she knows who he is immediately, and she knows that he's up to something. So she quickly goes and she covers her face in dirt and soot so that she can hide her beauty. But she didn't know. The king had already seen her from way far off and knew she was a hottie. <laughs> so he got there and he said, Ma'am, I am a poor, humble man and I am very thirsty. Would you be able to give me a drink? So she filled him up a container of milk and she brought it out to him. When he saw the milk, he was like, mm, she's kind of foiled the plan that I had. So he quickly drinks that down and he says, oh, that was very good. But I am still thirsty and I am a humble man. Could you bring me water? And she was like, okay. So she went, filled him a container of water. And when she brought it back to him, he threw the container of water into her face and washed all the soot <laughs> off of her face. And he was like, now I know how beautiful you are and I will want you as my wife. <laughs> and she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, have your husband meet me at my palace tomorrow. And he leaves. So when the farmer gets home, Indra tells him all that has happened. And he is in despair because if the king wants his wife, he might be powerless to deny him that. So the king issued a challenge to Manaraz, where he said, I have a giant fighting rooster, and I want you to bring a rooster of yours, and we will see who has the strongest. If my rooster wins, then I get your wife. But if your rooster wins, you can have my wife. Oh, man. Dude, I know. There's a lot to unpack there. The, the stakes have never been higher. <laughs> so Manaras, he was immediately so sad and scared because he did not have any roosters and none as terrifying as the king's. So as he was leaving to go back to his home so that he can go try to retrieve something and tell his wife what was about to ha like happen. Mm-hmm. He passed by and saw the king's rooster in the yard and it looked terrifying. And he was like, there's no way that I'm ever going to be able to find a rooster that is that big. And I'm going to lose my wife. So he was sad the whole way home. And when he got home, his wife said, what happened? What did the king say? And he said, all is lost because he wants us to get our strongest rooster. They're going to have a cockfight. And it, it's going to be bad. I'm going to lose you. And I'm like super sad. <laughs> and his wife said, husband, fear not. I have a sister, my oldest sister, who can help us with this. Take my ring so that she knows who you are when you show up at our house. And go and tell her of our problem. So he was like, wow, I didn't know you had a sister. You didn't bring this up at our wedding. What else don't I know about you? Secret, <laughs> secrets. I know fun. Secret, secrets hurt someone. <laughs> he didn't say any of that. That was mine. The storyteller has full license to say whatever they want. <laughs> anyway, so he takes his wife's ring and he goes out to the area where his sister-in-law was supposed to be. And when he gets there, 
a woman comes out and she says, who are you? And what have you like, why are you here? What have you come to do? And he held up the ring and said, this is your sister's ring. I am her husband and we need your help. And she was like, of course, obviously come into my house. I'm going to feed you. And he's like, oh, like, there's no reason to like feed me. And she was like, no, of course I have to feed you. It's very important that I feed you. Which I want to point out in the story, it's not super important that she feeds him. It's more of a cultural implication uh-huh. in the story of that to show hospitality, especially to family members, is to feed them. Which I think is a very human and relatable thing. That's why grandmas always try to like shove us full <laughs> of food. They're like, yeah. I have to show you that I love you by overstuffing you with food. So as he's sitting and eating, he's just thinking, I hope that she has a really big rooster because I don't want to lose my wife. So his sister-in-law comes back out and in her hands, she's holding an egg. And she hands him an egg and she said, this should be able to defeat the king's rooster. Like, I don't know and if you understand. Like, like, I have to yeah, do this like, like this tomorrow. Woman- <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time to raise this into a rooster. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, okay, that's going to be a problem later. <laughs> but he thanks her for her kindness and he leaves. The next day, he goes over with his egg. I just keep thinking of cool runnings. <laughs> yeah, his lucky egg. <laughs> lucky egg. So he goes over to the king's palace with his egg. And when he gets there and he shows the king what he's brought, everybody in court, of course, starts laughing and ridiculing him. And the egg cracks open. And what do you think popped out of the egg, Jeff? A huge, terrifying rooster. (laughs) That's what I thought was going to happen, too. But no, it's just a little chick. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a newborn chick. And so everyone <laughs> laughed even harder. Yeah, they're like, what are you going to do, man? So everyone was ridiculing him, and the king said, well, put him in there. Let's see what happens. And so he sets his little chick in there, and poor Manaraz, he has such a tender heart, and he's like, oh, no. This <laughs> I'm going to watch this little chick get massacred. Yeah, he's like, this is going to be so bad. So he puts his little chick in there, and... The king's rooster gets let out and it's amped up. It's aggressive. It's angry. And it sees the little chick on the other side and no one else to fight. And so it just starts scratching the ground, looking for food, not really finding any food. And then the king's rooster just sat down and everybody started to laugh because they realized that that little chick had defeated the rooster. Oh my gosh. And so the king was like, no, 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 no. Like that doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's not defeating. Like my, that's just avoiding like the confrontation. Yeah. He's like, no, that was unfair. So the king said, I have a second challenge for you. We are going to fight goats. I have a large, terrifying goat. You bring yours, they're going to butt heads and whack against each other, and we're going to see which goat is the strongest goat. So again, Manaras is so scared and disappointed. He's like, Ugh, I want to keep my wife. I love my wife, but I don't see any way that this is going to work. And as he was leaving, he sees the king's giant goat, just a buff steroided up like goat. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dwayne the Goat Johnson. (laughs) The greatest of all time, goat, goat. (laughs) So, (laughs) So he goes back and he's super sad and his wife is like, what's wrong? And he explains everything and she's like, I have another sister. I want you to go to and tell this problem to. She'll be able to help us. Again, she gives him the ring. He takes the ring to another sister. He explains what's happening. And this sister says, sit and eat. I will feed you. And he was like, I don't really have time to sit and eat. And I'm really nervous. And she's like, no, you need to sit and eat. I need to give you this as a service for being my sister's husband, which again, There's no magical implications here. It just really is a cultural message of like you feed and take care of your own. So she goes off and he's eating. And when she comes back, she gives him a little baby goat. And he's like, oh, no, (laughs) not again. (laughs) And she's like, here is this little kid. Because that's what a baby goat is called. (laughs) Here is this little kid. Uh, Take care of him. He is yours and he'll be able to solve your problem. And he was like, oh, I don't know about that. So he goes back to the king the next day. And again, he comes out with a baby goat. Everyone laughs. How ridiculous for you to bring out this baby goat. So they put it in the fighting ring and... The king's super buff, super like jacked up, like goats, like, yeah, bring him at me, bring him at me. And that little baby goat is just like bleating and looking lost and confused. And the big ram, he starts, you know, scraping his foot on the ground and he starts charging at this little baby goat. And as it gets closer and closer and closer to the baby goat, the little baby goat bleats hops out of the way and the goat full force hits against the palace wall and breaks its own neck. Falls down dead. Like that is clearly being beaten by the other goat. Okay. Maybe the rooster sitting down is like not being defeated, but when your goat dies, (laughs) when your goat died trying valiantly to like rip apart another goat, it's like, Oh, that's fair. Everybody cheered except the king, who was fuming mad because he thought that this was going to be pretty easy to beat this guy in fair combat and just take his wife in more or less, not an honorable way, but like have some reason to do it. So he says to him, tomorrow, I want you to come back with With a tiger's milk. Oh, tiger's milk. I was going to say it was going to be one third thing. And this is finally where the tiger is going to come into. But I was wrong. It's tiger's milk. Yeah, he's like, I want you to bring me tiger's milk, which, as we said in the other story, is basically saying, go kill yourself. (laughs) That's like what it means. I've got a good new insult for people. And since he was the king, there was nothing that he can do. And yeah, the king had said, bring me tiger's milk tomorrow. And if you don't come here by tomorrow night, I'm going and I'm taking your wife. So he's basically saying, disappear. Go get Basically. yourself killed and leave your life, yeah, wife and a I'll widow and come and collect your wife together. after you're dead. Exactly. So now Nana Rass is so sad 
So he goes to Indra and he says, I'm so sorry. We did everything that we could, but now the king wants me to go and get tiger's milk. And I'm not going to be able to do that. And I'm going to lose you. And Indra said, you do not have to worry. I have a little sister who knows exactly how to help you. And he's like, if I get a baby kitten right now. He's like, also, how come you have so many sisters that I've never heard about? Why weren't they at the wedding? (laughs) Why weren't they at the wedding? Um, So he takes his wife's ring. He goes and this young woman, when he gets to her palace, this young woman comes out and she says, what are you doing here? And he's like, I am your sister's husband and we need your help. And he has the ring and she was and like, I know this is new for you, but this is my third time doing this. Yeah. Like <laughs> sort it out. And she was like, I am so happy to see you. I'm so happy that my sister is married to somebody so great and wonderful. Oh, and I know. And she's like, come inside. I will feed you and tell me everything that you need. And he says, I don't have time because I can't eat right now. I have to get back as quickly as I can to the king. I, there's not a lot of time. He's going to come back to my house. And he's going to take your sister. And she was like, you have time to eat. Sit and eat while I go get you what you need to solve the problem. And he's like, okay. So he sits down and he's eating. And then the little sister walks out with full-grown tigress. Oh, geez. And she was like, I was thinking that instead of me getting you tiger's milk from this tigress, that the king could argue with you about whether or not it came from the tiger or not. I think it would be better if you just take my tiger (laughs) and milk her for the king so that he can like see you do it. Oh my gosh. And Manaraz is like, oh my gosh, why do you have a tiger in this house? She's like, I am the tiger queen. And <laughs> hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Okay. So Manaraz is, of course, like, why do you have that tigress in your house? That's horrifying. And the sister's like, no, it's totally fine. This is a wonderful tigress. She's very calm. She's a little nervous around strangers, but she will warm up to you. It's fine. And I was thinking, It would be faster. You said you had to leave here quickly. You should probably just ride the tiger. And he's like, no, of course, that makes complete (laughs) sense. No, you're a crazy person. And so she pulls out this like jeweled saddle and she puts a jeweled saddle onto the tiger and puts it up. And the tiger, totally calm and cool with it. And then she helps Manaras get on it and they go off on their way and they're making their speedy journey down the road and it was a fast way of moving so the king in his palace is you know watching the sun start to go down in the sky and he's thinking soon i'll be able to go claim this woman as my wife i'm so excited it's a really good day to be me (laughs) and then off in the distance he hears the little jingle jangle of bells or jewels and he thinks what could that sound be on? It's moving pretty quickly. Is this somebody's very swift horse coming? And around the corner comes Manaraz riding on a tiger. And the king <laughs> is terrified because he's like, no, 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 don't. 
don't bring that here. Don't bring that to my house. That's horrifying. So he freezes on the spot. Manaras gets up close to him and the king says, no, 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 it's fine. Your wife can stay your wife. You keep your wife. I'll keep mine. We're all good. Please don't bring that tiger here. And Manaras said, no, I said that I would get you tiger's milk. And I'm not making this up. He squeezes the tiger's teat and it sprays milk all on the king. And then he rides off home, which I'm like, wow, that's a diss. Yeah. And then he rode off back to his house. Well, you might notice this story was called The King That Rides a Tiger. So, Manaras wasn't a king. We're getting there. So, (laughs) all of the people who had witnessed all of these things happen, they're like, we are ashamed to have this man as our king. He was kind of a jerk. He has acted so dishonorably. Yeah. And the way that he's been treating this guy, trying to get this guy's wife. We don't want this man to represent us. We want a man to represent us like Manaraz. (laughs) And so, they made him their new king. And so he was the king who rode a tiger. The real tiger king. Yes, Manaraz. Manaraz. So yeah, of the things to like point out with that story of like the tail types that we've already covered and stuff, we had talked about animal brides, how they usually display a certain amount of like ability to upkeep a house. Yeah, like the domestic. Yeah. They were, like they the should. tasks they were always supposed to do were like all these domestic tasks. Yeah, exactly. And like I think of the most recent episode of the Frog Princess where it was like, bake bread, make me a shirt. It was like the king that was having his son's wife do these things. Like you said in that episode, pointing out these domestic tasks that they're doing. You know, yeah. similar in this one too, where it's like making all this food, but magically. Yeah, she would like kind of tidy up the house and make him good food, and that was her like kind of domestic. Like prowess. And so that same kind of theme worked even like in this story. Yeah. And then I I really like the the twist of instead of, you know, him finding out that she's an animal and then she has to run away or whatever that we've kind of seen like common is there's a person who wants to take her from him and he still has to do like these tasks to keep this woman. Yeah. So there's A lot of stories, especially that I've found in Eastern cultures, that talk about what makes a good king, what makes a good ruler. And in some of the stories that we've covered before from like Western cultures, usually the only thing that we really know about the men is that like they're usually shallow. They're like, oh, that woman's beautiful. I'm going to marry her. Or they're just like, oh, I'm I'm rich and I'll do a bunch of strong things to like get a woman. And so the only things about them are like they're strong and they're shallow. <laughs> <laughs> but what was interesting about this story is the end where the point of it is that the people saw the qualities in the king that they had and said, that's not the kind of king that we want. Those aren't the qualities of a good leader. We're going to get rid of this guy. And we're going to put in a good leader. Yeah. And Manaraz was like the whole time just great. Like he was so kind, helping yeah. innocent animals, you know. Yeah. Because even even when he was 
like speaking harshly to the dog. It was out of a place of love and concern that he was like, I hope that you're not like a spoiled, stupid dog. I really want yeah. you to live. Like, and who among us hasn't said harsh words to our dogs? Exactly. Like, we speak harshly to our pets because we don't think that they can really understand what we're saying. Yeah. And so it's interesting to me, like the story that we have this guy who has all these really, really great qualities the whole time. And they're not qualities that are even like rooted in what I think we in Western civilization would think of as traditional masculine qualities. Mm -hmm. Because the things we love about him are that he is kind and sensitive. He's humble. He's hardworking. He has a very like noble masculinity, a gentle masculinity. Yeah, for sure. Man Arras 2020. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> so also the story when it sets up the different men kind of at the beginning of the story, it actually reminds me a lot of the story of the Good Samaritan in mm -hmm. the Bible. Yeah, that. The story includes characters who traditionally are supposed are supposedly supposed to be really good people. They're wealthy. And so a lot of the times people equate like wealth with like just having a, a noble personality or like right. good qualities. Yeah. But really, no, you can be rich and be a terrible person. Yeah. You can be poor and be a terrible person. You can be poor and be a rich person. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you can be poor and be a rich person. <laughs> we like, exist. Nope. nope, nope, wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and what the story of the Good Samaritan sets up is that, like, these people who are supposed to be, like, good religious people, who are supposed to be pillars of their community, they keep refusing to do the right thing. And that's kind of how the this story starts off with, a snake needs help. And all of the people who you might think of as like, oh, they're wealthy. They're probably have good character because of their wealth. It's mm -hmm. like, no, your wealth says nothing about the character of person that you are. Yeah. And they each turn down helping the cobra. And then in the story of the Good Samaritan, the reason why that story was being told in the Bible was because Samaritans were a group of people who were traditionally looked down upon. Yeah. And so showing that somebody who's traditionally looked down upon is willing to help other people, it was to point out that fact of just because you're in a higher like caste doesn't mean that you're a better person. And this story sets that up too. Yeah. Because at the beginning, he's a Magar farmer. And that was kind of a tribe that all the people always had kind of lowlier jobs. And so then were placed in like lower castes and so were thought down upon. But in the story, he's the only person who would help the cobra. And so he was rewarded for his goodness. This is such a great story. There was like so much to it. I, like I kind of wish we had like stopped to talk at the half because I feel like there is so much to talk about like in that first All half and in the it, yeah. second half. And it was just like really interesting. This, like I said, I think midpoint, but it's like I want to see a movie version of this story so bad. Oh, yeah. It would be amazing. Uh, What's also interesting to me is that in this story, you had things happening in threes, like a lot of yeah. fairy tales. 
And people have pointed to that, especially in Western fairy tales and folklore, they're like, oh, the number three is powerful, like the three fates, like past, present, and future, or they link it with like the trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so when it comes to this story and things being linked with threes, it helped me think more about maybe I fall outside of that belief. And now I'm falling more into the belief that Things happen in threes because it's good storytelling. It's yeah. good. Like in comedy, they talk about the rule of threes. Uh-huh. The first is to explain what happens. The second is to establish a pattern. And then the third, the third is, is to like subvert, subvert the pattern. And like, that's what happened with like the three tasks that yeah. he did where it's like baby, uh, baby chick, baby goat, Full grown tiger. <laughs> exactly. And it was like doubled up in that too, because it was, there were the three tasks, which were fighting bird, fighting goat, get me tiger's milk, which is a completely different thing. And then yeah. different thing. It was like brought a baby, brought a baby, brought a full grown tiger that he milked <laughs> in front of him and sprayed him in the face with, you know, it was like, it was, it really is so good. Yeah. Or even the, the three days where the woman is like the dog. Yeah. And yeah, you have the first day to find out what happens, the second day to establish that pattern, and then the third day for the subverting that pattern by him jumping in in the middle and like stopping. Yeah. And so even though that that three is always pointed out like, oh, things happen in three, they found the three like persons, and so it must be tied to like past, present, future, the three fates, or like the trinity, or like the three... And I'm like, you know what? The more that I'm looking around the world and seeing that happen, yeah. the more I'm leaning more towards like, ah, I don't know. I think a lot of the time it's just because it's good storytelling. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I was just thinking, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has ever thought of that <laughs> and disagreed, but. Yeah, it is interesting. It is what makes it like, I was so enthralled every step of the way along this story. From, again, a completely different culture to the one that I grew up in, originating in a different language. You know, there's so many things about it that could not be more different. But the storytelling itself, the way things unfolded, were so familiar that I could follow along with. And I think that that is, for whatever reason, this like whole rule of threes thing being somewhat universal or some sort of like kind of, I don't know, I think it says something about humans as a you know species, like you pointed out before, with we're all sitting around when we have to do these tasks, we come up with stories to tell. Every culture is a storytelling culture. And for whatever reason, we all tell stories in such a similar way that we can understand the stories. It's amazing. We can understand the stories as well as we do from these crazily different cultures than our own. I don't know anybody in Nepal, but hearing these stories, it really does make me feel closer to these people. And it does make me feel even better about the fact that we're, you know, teaming up with the Nepal Youth Foundation to try to help these people who, you know, in this time really, really need it. Yeah. And I love, I love how it just unites us as humanity. It makes us human. Sharing each other's stories just highlights how human we all are. And if right now you are able to be thinking about Nepal, the people who are there, if you are in a privileged enough position to donate or you are in a safe place that has good internet where you can amplify the voice of the Nepal Youth Foundation, 
We want to encourage you to go and to donate. So if you want to donate, you can head over to www.nepalyouthfoundation.org backslash donate. And so, yeah, if you could share that link or donate or both, that would be fantastic and greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to fight rams. You're going to go and, or not rams. It was, no, a ram is a boy sheep. No, goats. I'm thinking goats. What's a boy goat? Uh, A billy goat? A billy goat, yeah. Uh, All right. Let me see. Male goat. There's probably another name. No, because well, it's a billy goat. It's a castrated a male goat is called a weather. Yes. But that's not. But there's a billy goats and nanny goats. Nanny goats are girls, and billy goats are boys. Female goats are referred to as does or nannies. <laughs> I like how many of our conversations revolve around gendering animals. Intact males are called mm. bucks or billies. Bucks. All right. Doesn't matter. I'll just say goats.